0: and welcome ladies and gentlemen boys and girls guys gals and non-binary pals to another episode of all the above the show that gives you an unstandardized take on education i'm jeffrey garrett one of your co-hosts and i've been a middle and high school principal and a high school social studies teacher and even though it might not look like it i am as
1: always joined by manuel rustin your favorite teacher's favorite teacher i'm a high school history teacher this is my 16th year in the classroom or rather it was my 16th year in the classroom because like many of y'all um i work in a school system that is shut down for this coronavirus crisis and jeff i know a lot of educators out there are concerned about whether or not school will get back in session in time for us to complete this school year so that's what we're going to talk about today and Jeff I notice you are not in your normal shirt and tie.
0: Yeah you know I am uh, I'm officially at uh, work remotely casual level yeah. uh, today <laughs> so yeah. here, I, here I am in my uh, still in my customary blue shirt that's uh, that's how the wardrobe goes but uh, you know we figured we'll keep it uh, we'll keep it COVID-19 casual. Today, Manuel.
1: Yeah, indeed. I'm yes. in mean, my sweats. You can't tell, but I'm wearing my sweats and my my <laughs> slippers. I'm I definitely feeling good and comfortable.
0: Definitely got the sweatpants and slipper vibe going on below, <laughs> below the camera view here as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, man, it's a must. It's yeah. a must. All right, Jeff. So you came across a um a tweet about the future of this this school year. How about you tell us about that?
0: Yes, Manuel. So, um, you know, I think, as you mentioned, this is, this is really the topic that's on everyone's mind, especially educators, where we live at this really interesting intersection, right, of both, um, you know, being responsible for helping kids learn academic content and sort of grow and develop intellectually, right. but also we're really in the business of caring, for kids and caring for families and, and and nurturing and supporting their development and and safety and health, right? Right. And so I think that that puts us at a really uh, you know both important and also very kind of intimate intersection with with families and with communities at this uh, this obviously really disruptive time in our in our nation and and globally. Uh, So, you know, we came across a really fascinating tweet uh, from a name you may know, uh, Hmm. Dr. Tyrone Howard, who's a professor of education at uh, UCLA. Have you heard of UCLA, Manuel? Are you
1: aware of that school? Um, I think I've heard of it. I think I'm pretty sure it's the number one public university in the world, Jeff.
0: Oh okay, yes. okay, and and
1: fun fact, <laughs> Dr. Howard was on my dissertation committee, so shout out to dr howard a, uh, a very transformative leader out there in the education space
0: yes, yes did he did he put your hood on at your at your doctoral
1: he did he graduation
0: did. okay all right yes indeed so uh so yes, Dr. Howard had a fascinating tweet recently, which I think really caused um caused me certainly to do a lot of thinking, and I know lots of educators are grappling with some tensions about like, what should we do with school and what should school's role be in these complex times. So let's take a look at this tweet. Dr. Howard yeah. said, and I quote, in these unprecedented times, schools must really reconsider online learning. Many children and families are worried about far greater issues. Moreover, this is a big equity and access issue. A moratorium on school-sanctioned learning is seriously needed right now. Hashtag COVID-19, hashtag equity. Hmm. So uh, lots to chew on there, and certainly lots to chew on in the context of, you know, a profession like ours that is almost totally turned upside down on its head right now, yeah, right? Man. where where we're scrambling to figure out how to have kids continue school at home and, and remotely. Uh, so, Manuel, as a as the classroom teacher on the panel here, and someone who is experiencing this directly for yourself, where where do you stand on uh, Dr. Howard's take that we should yeah. have a, a moratorium on online learning currently?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I guess I'll start by saying that. I could only speak from my perspective as a classroom teacher, and this is truly, truly uncharted waters. I think everybody out there from the expert academics at the top all the way down to um, the classroom teachers and aides and, and folks that, that um, work in our school system, in our community, I think everybody is basically trying their best to wrap their heads around this crisis and what it means for our schools, because this is just something that I don't think anybody uh, in the education world ever saw Um, as a possibility in the midst of a school year like this. So truly uncharted territory, I can't even pretend to know the answer, Um, but as far as the specific call for a moratorium on the school year, I think first we'd have to just clarify um, or get on the same page as educators about what we would mean by that. Because I think for some folks, the idea is that there's so much going on and there are so many problems in particular areas of the nation, in particular districts with um, so-called online or distance learning that like we just got to call a a full timeout on the school year, stop everything and basically pick up when it's safe. And others, I think, um, think about it in terms of maybe the school year is just just over maybe we just go ahead and and close it where it's at and then hopefully by the fall things are safe and we could relaunch a brand new school year so uh, for my part I definitely in terms of pulling a timeout on the school year or ending the school year as a history teacher I am leaning against that idea for a few reasons but the main reason being that at least for my school system our school year ends in late May so we are we're talking about I think roughly 10 weeks or so that um, we are trying the remote learning thing. And of those 10 weeks, one week would have already been taken up by state testing, which is at least in California since been, been canceled for the school year probably another week with other disruptions from AP testing to senior activities, end of the year stuff. So we're really talking about maybe eight weeks of instruction that might be lost in terms of the face-to-face in-class instruction. And since my district does have the technological capability to have given every single student a a hotspot, a Chromebook, we've been on this um, Chromebook online type of thing for quite a while, in terms of, you know, students are familiar, we weren't dishing out Chromebooks at the last minute um, because of this closure. I think we can do enough to piece together some distance learning activities so that we can end the school year and have students have a a sense of of closure to their learning and to what they were learning in each of their classes and and go with it like that so i would hate to see my district call a complete moratorium on on learning period like i i I would be against it for for my district but i think there are other districts i know there are other districts that do not have the the um technological foothold on on connecting with students outside of the of the classroom And, and for them i think it's a Really serious question that they ought to consider.
0: Yeah, I, I appreciate those thoughts, and I think um, even the sort of comparison between the two districts that uh, that we work within, right, um, you know, highlights I think the complexity of answering this question. Right. So on a on an academic level, I I totally appreciate where Dr. Howard is coming from, right. And if we lived in perhaps a more sensible nation. Uh, that, you know, that had more of a national education policy and really saw equity through the lens of looking at all children nationwide, so, you know, kids in rural Idaho and kids in New York City and, you know, kids in the suburbs of L.A., um, equally, you know, the moratorium idea might make a lot more practical sense, right? Um, Or we'd be in a situation where we would have distributed broadband access and device access you know, equally or equitably to the point that we would be able to not need a moratorium, right? Right. So so it's like a purely academic exercise, I agree with him. Um, That does, there's a strong equity imperative to think about saying, if trying to continue regular school right now is going to only exacerbate the already large gaps that we have in our system, then maybe we should just hit pause and, you know, and reassess, right? How long is right. this timeline going to take and then pick, you know, extend the school year or whatever the, you know, the number of days we wind up being closed or, or that sort of thing. Right. Um, and that makes a lot of sense. I think the practical reality is like the cat's are already out of the, out of the bag. Like it's a, you know, devices are out there. It's already happened. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's sort of a moot point on a certain level to me. What, um, you know what really comes up as like the the more interesting part of this equation to think about now that I think is coming and that I think we we haven't actually really hit yet is we're doing all of this stuff the shutdowns the social distancing etc. as preventative measures right as right. as measures to help us flatten the curve so to speak right to reduce the overwhelming burden on our emergency medical services. Um, but we're still going to likely face that. And that is gonna have huge impact on our students. And so I'm wondering about like, as we're hurrying to get kids to like, you know, master algebra two remotely, right? right? Or prepare for their AP US history exam that might be delayed and how to take that from home what does it mean to be responsible educators at a time when kids' family members are going to be in the hospital, when we might experience mass death in the country at a scale that we haven't seen in a century or more, right? Right. And so that's the kind of question that I feel like I'm not seeing any district that I'm aware of making real preparations to address a set of students and a community that is about to walk into Trauma and instability in a way that we have not seen in a hundred years. So I'm mm-hmm. curious, Manuel, your your thoughts about kind of that side of the equation, also.
1: Yeah, I think that's a that's an extremely tough one. There, you know, um, as our audience knows, I've mentioned it before. My my mom lives in Spain. I have a lot of family in Spain, and Spain is seeing three to four hundred deaths per day right now, and it's not getting better. And when I think about the possibility of a city like the city that we, we film in, Los Angeles, being anywhere close to that, I mean, you're right. The, the trauma that our students are gonna be experiencing if that reality comes here is, is gonna be obviously way bigger and, and way more important than school and more important than any kind of online learning activities or anything like that. I don't know what districts can do right now to prepare for that reality because part of part of me is is thinking about the enormous amount of work that's happening in, in hopefully every district to try to figure out how to best make use of this school year um, one way or another and just try to figure out everything from obviously keeping uh, school meals going to figuring out what your um, teachers are, are what kind of support or what Kind of expectations there might be for teachers and everything else so i think the question about how are we going to prepare for the possibility that we'll have a, a big set of students who will have experienced the level of trauma that you're referring to i don't know what that would look like or could look like i don't know what that discussion would look like um short of arrange communications with teachers and staff about that reality and how to prepare for that reality. So um, it sounds like what you're saying is that um, aside from this conversation about whether or not online learning activities or distance learning activities should continue, districts need to be having these hard conversations about what are they going to do in the event that that this crisis goes the way that it's gone in in spain and italy and other places um i don't know what do you think districts let's say a district like like los angeles massive school district what could or should they be doing with regards to the possibility that los angeles will see the level of of loss that other other areas have seen
0: Right. So, you know, I definitely appreciate your, your thoughts there and your, your perspective on it. To me, what's really interesting about what our response is currently and what it isn't or what it hasn't been currently is that we're kind of talking about the eventual likely progression of this pandemic mm-hmm. as though we've never experienced anything like it before. And I think in the modern context, certainly we haven't experienced a medical crisis like this at this level of scale before. But, in, but at smaller levels, we have very definitely experienced things like this before. I was a principal in New York City during, uh, during Hurricane Sandy. Right. And so right. we went through, you know, five, six, I think, days of, of school shutdown, you know, kids and families having to, uh, for, for school facilities that were damaged, having to move those facilities, you know, attend school at three different sites for the remainder of the year. Right. And obviously that's different than like everyone staying home and isolating. Right. Right. But these highly disruptive, traumatic things where communities are heavily displaced, where there's job insecurity. There are some either you know injuries or loss of life, um, you know houses burning down. Right, um, we we have lots of small examples of this that have happened all over the country pretty yeah. regularly, right? Even here in California with the wildfires just last year, right? We had right. whole towns that were burnt to the ground and, you know, and had to react, right? And so, of course, this isn't exactly that situation, but you know, we have seen things like this, Katrina, you know, other natural disasters, September 11th, right? Times that have been highly disruptive, highly destabilizing to kids and families, and, and caused concentrated pockets of trauma. And then we've had to respond and so my question would be if school was open and this was happening with school open what would we do right and i wonder why we wouldn't be thinking more about wanting to do those same kinds of things right which i think is different than how do we make sure kids continue algebra 2 continue with their reading lessons continue with you know with those sorts of things but how do we make space to help kids process what's happened, to help kids form connection and relationship, right? If we get to a place where students are um, and families are not able to continue to engage with school or where a significant number of teachers are compromised in one way or another and not able to engage with their students, what are some things we can offer? you know, productive play, um, you know, uh, exercises and, and things that people can do in their homes to help relieve stress and manage anxiety, right? Like, there, there are things we can do that I'm not saying the school system has to be something it's not, right? But if school were open and we had all the kids coming and they were dealing with this huge, massive issue, we wouldn't just be talking about how do we keep kids moving along in the content, right? We'd be talking about right. what are their needs. And I, that's where I feel like we are I don't see action and planning and forethought from our school systems right now.
1: So if I'm hearing you right, it sounds like what you're saying is rather than trying to do some sort of distance or remote or online learning relative to particular core content, so myself as a U.S. history teacher, I've been utilizing various tools to keep my U.S. history instruction going. It sounds like what you're saying is, um, with Dr. Howard's tweet in mind about a moratorium, that it sounds like you're saying schools should be focused on providing something that addresses the immediate need or potential need of, of students own well-being in the midst of a pandemic where people are are being hurt and being impacted very heavily. So it sounds like not a moratorium. However, what the school is delivering needs to not be the traditional academic stuff. It needs to be these other things as if we are um, dealing with the types of crises that we have dealt with in the past. So am I hearing you right?
0: I think you are. I, I would say at this point we're past the, the point of a serious discussion about a moratorium. If we get back to a point where a, a discussion of moratorium feels rele- like immediately relevant again, we're probably gonna wind up saying we're in a really bad place, right? Like we're, we're so compromised that we don't have the ability to continue to offer the infrastructure of online learning and, and we can right. only hope and pray that we, we don't wind up in that place. Um, I think what I'm saying is, you know, yes, that, that what is being done to try to continue the normalcy of learning is useful and is productive in as much as it can be right now. What is coming <laughs> to me feels like something very similar to the aftermath of other major disasters that have right. come along in communities all across the country, right? And like, what do schools do in that situation, right? Yeah. Like, we, we're running into, like, smack in the face, head on, the realities of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Yeah. So, the, the physiological needs come first. And must be attended to in order for a person to successfully navigate addressing the other needs higher up in the hierarchy, right? Their psychological need, safety needs, their sort of intellectual needs, and then ultimately their, you know, their uh, self-actualization needs, right? Right. And so um, the reality is, school and intellectual learning in school is more of a higher in the hierarchy. Need right um and process than it is at the at the bottom and we see this all the time with kids who come to school who are homeless or who are you know in an abusive situation or those sorts of things right who just come into class and put their head down and like you know act out or whatever right because they they are dealing with needs that are more basic than first period english class Right, right. right and so I think we're walking into a situation where the number of kids who are gonna be in that space in one form or another is about to vastly expand. And to me, that's where I don't see us um, making preparations, right? And I yeah. get it's, it's new, it's different, it's, it's maybe even extremely difficult, but it feels to me like we are putting all of our eggs in the continue the content learning basket and not enough in the what do we do when you know, a significant percentage yeah. of the student population overnight is dealing with a dear family member or themselves in some kind of triage hospital where they can't get a ventilator.
1: Right. Yeah. 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 I, I, I hear that. Um, I guess my thinking, however, is that in the the fact that obviously this is a rapidly evolving situation and like I said at the top, none of us know exactly what the right answer is for for anything really right now because this is something that um even though in in ways it's similar to events of the past like you pointed out um just generally speaking like this is just the totality of it is unlike anything that any of us have have experienced uh just worldwide together in our lifetimes so i guess my thinking is as a history teacher do I keep going on and try to replicate my classroom existence in a digital remote way? Or is it full stop, put a break on put breaks on all that and focus then instead on the possible reality that you're pointing out, which is what's gonna happen down the line. And I guess for for myself, it's a, a little bit of a hybrid. I think a lot of educators out there, those yeah. who jumped right to yo, I want you to be on Zoom at 8 a.m. on Monday, that we doing this, we're we doing that. I think that was a, a big mistake. So I've seen posts online about different educators who are basically like, trying to fully replicate their day-to-day teaching, but in a, in a digital way, which I think misses misses the point of what students need. Going back to, uh, you referred to uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I mean, there are students, we, I mean, I know people personally who have had their whole entire company laid off just in the last 48 hours. So you could imagine there's a lot of students out there who themselves, you know, their parents or whoever they live with are, are dealing with the immediacy of don't have work anymore. We got this going on, we got that going on. So just to like try to immediately replicate what's happening in school in a digital way is just like missing the boat entirely. However, on the other end of it, I think there is a need for something coming from the schools in terms of learning activity. So as a history teacher, I am still delivering content. I'm being super flexible with it. I am I've definitely put out stuff that in my head, I'm like, man, I don't know if this meets the quote unquote rigor standard of of the classroom. But then I remind myself like this is, things are different. So I'm trying my best to meet the needs of students and be as flexible as possible until we have, I guess, a a clearer idea of whether or not school will ever be back in session. And I think really right there, that's where I think educators need to be at, just everyday classroom educators, I think, need to be in a place where you are there for your students to the extent that you can be, that you're not giving out anything or or assigning anything that can harm a student in terms of like, if a student doesn't get to it or doesn't do it, or a student is too busy taking care of little sibling because their school is closed too, and they didn't do your little assignment or they didn't meet you for your little Zoom or Google Meet appointment, um, that that doesn't hurt the student's grade at all. And I think there's been some discussion about whether or not legally we can even, as educators, have anything that would harm a student's grade in the first place. So I know for myself, the stuff I'm giving out, pretty much it could only add to a student's grade. If, if there are certain students that I never hear from during this whole point, whatever grade they ended with, like that's, that's what they're gonna have. I'm not even gonna think about failing a student who didn't like tap into me remotely, even though, you know, whatever they have, Chromebooks and all that. But I think educators need to keep in mind that for a lot of students and a lot of families, really having something from the school can be helpful as long as it's something that's humanizing, supportive, and super flexible so that it's not adding to student stress. I know my my, um, sister, she's at home with um, her husband and three kids, everyone's locked down. And those three kids, three different ages, three different grades, they are bouncing off the walls. So for her, it's very (laughs) helpful to have stuff from like (laughs) the schools to just help her out because she's trying to work remotely for her own job and just having the three kids stare at iPads all day isn't necessarily like the best solution so she's looking for something from the school but again like not everyone is in a situation where the kids are just bouncing all the walls bored in some cases the the kid is is in a situation where the last thing they could put their uh, focus and attention to is something school related so i think that flexibility yeah. is like the ultimate key for classroom teachers out there yeah, I,
0: I agree, man. And I, you know, just listening to you talk right there, Manuel, is it gives me some some faith and reassurance.
1: That's what I'm here you know, for, and, you, man.
0: And, and, and thank you, thank you, because this is a stressful time, right? And, yeah. Uh, you know, I've spent the last week myself working remotely, hardly left my my apartment here, and That's weird, have, man. Have spent more time looking at screens on video chats with people and having remote meetings than I've ever had in my entire professional career, right? Right. And Dealing with colleagues, you know, while so we're sitting on this video chat and in pops someone's five year old. Right. And (laughs) uh, and so, you know, folks are really, really hearing and feeling the realities that come with. Uh, You know, with school not being there to supervise kids. Right. And watch kids and educate kids. And um, so what you're saying about the both and just so resonates with me. Right. I'm not saying we stop all the academic work. We should keep it for sure. But what I am saying is that we need to be thinking proactively about what is coming. Right? And that example that you gave, because we have the immediate health needs of folks who are going to be impacted by COVID 19. Yeah. But then we have all the massive ripple effects. Like there's a reason right now that Republicans, Republicans are talking about massive socialist type <laughs> infusions of cash. Bunch of commies, in, in, those Republicans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pinko commie Mitch McConnell, right? It's talking <laughs> about putting $2,000 in everyone's pocket because we're right. looking at just straight up across the board market collapses, right? Yeah. And the ripple effect of that is when all the you know hourly gig workers can't do their jobs, right? They can't go to Starbucks, they can't buy groceries, they can't do get haircuts and do all the things they're supposed to do, right? And that yeah. is going to cause, like we know what happens when poverty skyrockets, when hunger skyrockets, when housing instability skyrockets. We know what happens, right? right? Like domestic abuse goes up, substance abuse goes up, petty crime and incarceration and stuff is gonna go up, right? And so like all of that is gonna sit squarely in the lap of schools to have to try to deal with. And we have every reason to believe it's going to, as it always does in America, disproportionately impact the communities that are already the most disproportionately impacted. Right? Always. So so my worry is what are we doing to be proactive, to help support our students and families in that context, right? And maybe I hope we make great policy decisions that get us out of the sort of um, potential coming downward cycle of those things. I certainly hope that the folks in Washington at state levels across the country make the right choices to to stem those negative tides from rising. But if they don't, right, like we could be looking at a very different reality of what does it mean to engage with kids and families.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. And I am hoping that we do not end up in a situation where this is a a long momentous calamity that has repercussions for months and months and months and years um, from here I, I'm being hopeful that between the social distancing and and various other factors that things just don't get as bad as they've gotten in, in other parts of the world and that by midsummer things are things are all right and we could be focused on next school year and how to, have a great school year next year. I'm, I'm hoping that that's the case, but all, everything you're laying out is pretty much what the what the pattern seems to be, or what the, the momentum seems to be in terms of, of all the of the, all of the possible problems ahead. So with regards to Dr. Howard's tweet on calling a, a moratorium on the school year, I think there are educators out there and we definitely wanna hear from other educators and not just educators, but uh, parents and, and folks that are, are connected to our, our schools and our school system. I think this idea of, of calling a full time out and not giving any kind of uh, distance or remote learning that's academic in that sense. I've seen some people posting about certain districts that have told their teachers not to give anything because of all the equity um, challenges inherent in that. So as far as that goes, I personally, and I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. I personally think that's a, a district by district discussion because again like in my district we're talking about 10 weeks really seven or eight of, of academic instruction and we have the tools we have everything in place so let's try to uh, provide something especially for those those households that want something from the school so that their kids aren't just sitting there watching watching youtube or watching all of the above and binging on on that excellent excellent show um, but there are places where they're telling their teachers straight up, don't send anything because we don't have devices for all of our students. And pretty much the students who have the privilege of living in a household that's relatively stable right now and has internet connectivity and devices and all that, those students are going to do the learning and excel, and the other students are left behind. Uh, so those many of those districts are saying full on, full stop, and wait for further instructions. So if you were the superintendent of a Medium to large school district in whatever town in America, right now, what do you think your instruction would be to your teachers and staff?
0: Were you asking me? Yeah. Oh, okay. So I wasn't sure if that was like a rhetorical question to the audience. Oh, not. My bad. (laughs) (laughs) All good. Well, uh, Manuel, I think the reality is that given where we are right now, uh, folks should deploy everything that they have. And if I agree with you, it makes sense currently for this to be a district by district decision. But the reality is district by district decisions is a terrible way to make education policy on a lot of these bigger equity issues. Right. Um, So this is really bringing to the surface all the baked in problems uh, in our system. Right. We're, it's it's revealing that we have so many families who can't feed their kids. Right. right. It's revealing we have so many uh, school s- districts that don't have enough devices to empower kids to learn remotely. And then we have these pockets of wealth that do. Right. Yeah. It's revealing that, uh, you know, we just have radically different distribution of resources that actually is unfair and structurally you know, classist and racist, et cetera, right? Yeah. And so my, my hope is that in this moment, we are going to actually use this, this as a great learning opportunity. So do what we can to get through this moment and use the resources we have in the most equitable way that we can right now, right? Yeah. Knowing that we started from a really sort of bad, uh, <laughs> you know, unfair place, right? Yeah. Um, but we also have a chance, right? They're, they're throwing around trillions with a T in Washington right now, Crazy. like it's like it's nothing, right? Just yeah. like okay, two two more trillion. Let's meet about it on Tuesday, right? Yeah. Um, and so, in this moment of crisis, in this moment of need, in this moment where to to draw upon the, uh, the the writings and the the thinking of someone like Naomi Klein in in her book The Shock Doctrine, that talks about how you know these uh, sort of conservative or, or neoliberal Policies use these shocks as an opportunity to put in place uh, public policies that that help you know concentrate wealth and, and undermine social safety nets we have the opportunity to do the opposite right we have the opportunity to say, oh our public health infrastructure needs a lot of work we should invest in it deeply Oh our school systems need a lot more support than we have been giving them right and I'm hoping that all those parents at home who are like, "Oh my god, I've had a week." with my two kids and and I'm like, I'm dying, right? Yeah. Uh, the next time a ballot measure comes up about a small commercial property tax increase, let's just say hypothetically here in California, we'll vote yes because we need investment in our public schools yeah. to serve our students well, right? And to be prepared for times like this, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, Hopefully we take the opportunity to build upon or restructure the parts of the system that are are that we've always known have been inequitable, but are glaring and, and, and just like the inequity is just glowing right now. Hopefully we do take this as opportunity to to address that. I'm hopeful of that. Uh, I know as a classroom teacher, one thing that I was worried about when this all started was the the rush to use these online learning tools. And part of me was thinking, like, oh man, the Silicon Valley, the education arm of that, has to be just like jumping for joy, having the whole nation move move to their products and
0: salivating,
1: salivating big (laughs) time. And I know it's only been about a week more or less, but seeing some posts from teachers and seeing that a lot of folks are already tired of using these, and it's kind of like a reminder of how much better the classroom was. I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, next school year, hopefully things start off nice and fresh and it's a safe uh, safe time for everyone to go back to school. I'm hoping that if anything, we've learned that, okay, maybe technology won't save us and maybe we need to double our efforts to make that in-person, face-to-face learning experience better and more equitable for all of our students because I'm I'm already tired of hearing about Zoom. Like, I'm tired of it and it's only been a week. So I'm hoping that if anything, this is like a reminder that like technology in Silicon Valley will not save education and it's not the answer to existing inequities in our system. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. I will say I do think that um, I think we do have some things we can learn in this moment. For sure. And, and these technologies do offer us some possibilities in a way that, you know, that, that we, I think, have not been forced to consider and take advantage of, right? So the possibilities for collaboration across great distances are actually a lot more available than I think most teachers and most schools and administrators and school systems are sort of typically thinking about on any given point in time, right? Now, that said, I'm 100% with you, like the computers are not coming to save us, right? Like good, good teaching and learning has existed for thousands of years with people sitting down on the grass talking about stuff, right? And fundamentally learning is a social process and there are very real limitations to having that social process carried out through the intermediate vehicle of yeah. you know, a camera and a screen and, and the internet, right? And we have all kinds of data to suggest to us that there are actually some some damaging effects of trying to substitute real human connection with virtual human connection. That said, yeah we can learn some stuff, man. And education has frankly been a little bit behind the times, um, more than we should be on leveraging some of the tools available. But I, I'm with you on the, like, the suspicion uh, <laughs> behind the, go- the gold rush that our Silicon Valley partners see coming um, with you know every kid in America yeah. getting on a Chromebook and you know, getting on an iPad and getting on uh, you know whatever platform that they have, and and the mountain of data that they're about to collect. And we forget that what these companies are actually in the business of doing is not actually giving us devices. It's about aggregating our data so that they can sell it for profit, right? And so yeah. um, there are big ethical questions behind this that, of course, we have not really been able to fully examine as we're just trying to you know, survive COVID-19.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think it was a few episodes ago we talked about the uh, data deletion week in in um, some district in Maryland. Oh yeah, Maryland, I don't yeah. Uh,
0: I think it was Fairfax County. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I think so. And how parents basically rallied to make sure that there was a particular week each school year where all their, their students' data was deleted uh, so that it wouldn't fall into the wrong hands or be used to you know, build profiles on them or whatever, whatever. I think that those sorts of discussions are going to be uh, front and center once we get through the immediate crisis that we have now because i mean i can't imagine how much data is being collected now with with so many students and teachers being um basically pushed towards these online learning spaces so yeah um All right. So before we get out of here, I definitely have a few shout outs I want to give. First of all, the California Department of Education, they created an app or maybe the app already existed and I just now found out about it. But in any case, it has a map of all the places that parents and families could go to get their school meals during the school closures. So basically based on your wherever you live, you pull up the app and it'll tell you the nearest place to get those uh, school meals, which we know so many families rely on. So shout out to them for getting that out there. We'll post a link to that on our on our website. And also want to shout out all the folks out there who are making sure these conversations around equity continue through this crisis. So uh, Ed Trust West put out an article about six things that districts need to do to be mindful of maintaining or fighting for equity during the time of school closures. Things from making sure that uh, you have your English language learners and specialist students in mind and whatever type of online uh, learning is going on to making sure you have school meals provided and other resources. So we'll link that on our website as well. And shout out to everybody else out there who during this time of, of crisis is making sure that we don't lose sight of the fact that we have an inherently inequitable education system. And just because we are in crisis times now does not mean that we shouldn't continue having those discussions about making sure that we serve all of our students, particularly those who have been most marginalized and forgotten. Um, Jeff, any uh, last comments before we get out of here?
0: Man, I I really want to co-sign on all of those shout outs that you just said, and I just want to lump into that as well. The number of people uh, working in districts the, the administrators of school systems, the administrators of school sites who are just doing heroic uh, above and beyond kinds of things right now um, yeah. that, that might not really be visible to the public, right, um, but that are resulting in things like grab-and-go food centers being operational for, you know, for families to get food or for, um, you know, The communications and organization of the rollout of all this technology and these sorts of things. Uh, There's just some really good work happening. A lot of sort of unsung hero type of stuff. The folks working in IT departments and districts um, that are managing hundreds of thousands of accounts and things. Um, There's a lot of good people doing good work that that can't be easily seen. And I I just want to say, hey, we we see you, appreciate you. And please, please keep it up. You're you're supporting society and, and home life feeling at least a little more normal during this just crazy time.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, folks, if this is your first episode that you've watched of all the above, know that it normally doesn't look like this. Normally we're in a TV studio together, but we are being safe and we are socially distant uh, by about 40 miles, actually, something like that. Um, I'm so I'm we're going to keep the show. Man, <laughs> something like that, yeah. It's it's, it's quite a distance. Um, it is a distance, yes. But we're going to keep the show going to the extent possible. So if you are listening to the podcast version of this, um, this episode, do remember you can head over to our YouTube channel, youtube.com/slash all of the above, and see all of our full episodes and extras and all of that stuff. And if you're already at YouTube, consider um, hitting that subscribe button if you've enjoyed what you've seen. All right. So um, we'll we'll catch you when we catch you. Really, we're going to try to keep our content coming out um, about once a week, whether in video form or audio only form. But um, we're going to do our best to keep the show going. And we wish you all the um, greatest amounts of, of safety and sanity that are possible right now during these very, very trying times. All right. So thank you for watching or listening. And we will catch you next time.